The reading today comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. And uh, thank you for being here on an uncertain day. As we um, gather around God's word, why don't we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. It is a light for our path, it is food for our soul, but it is the rock on which we stand and that which we thirst for. So open the eyes of our hearts to see you this morning as we gather around your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I must admit I'm getting to that part of the year when I start to get a bit reflective about the year that's been. Uh, 2020 Mark 2 is sort of been 2021, hasn't it? And uh, and it's almost feels almost sort of self-imposed lockdown number four. Um, and I don't know about you, but there's a weariness kicking in. I'm tired of organising things twice, the thing, and then the thing just in case, and all that sort of stuff. And it's got me thinking about some of the conversations that I've had over the last two years, and we've come to grips with various things. So I wonder what sort of conversations you've been having the sort of things I, I mean like this I've had conversations with people sometimes they're conversations in my own head just to be sure um, sometimes I've had conversations about homeschooling and missed milestones and the mental health of our children Who, who's had that conversation hmm? I've had conversations about uncertainty you not being able to plan anything of booking stuff and the risk of being pinged. For me, that's actually been more of an anxiety than COVID itself, just to be honest. Who's had that conversation? I've had conversations about how church doesn't feel like it used to and that everyone's disconnected and we're in a new building and I wish we were doing this or that or the other and I feel that too. Who's had that conversation? I've had difficult conversations with people who have been through relationship breakdowns and potential and actual abuse. Not all of us have that conversation. I've had conversations about the trauma that people have experienced in churches, jobs and other communities and I'm not even sure why their experience was traumatic but it was and it hurts. And in this season, they have felt like they haven't had the energy to deal with it, but it's been confronting them. Has that been a conversation? 
And I've had conversations with people for whom everything is fine, but it's still a plod, and it's still hard to dream big and dream long. Take a moment, have a think. What conversations have you been having, even if it's just inside your own head, as you've come to grips with things? What's been moving you? What's been weighing on your mind? Now my point here isn't to stir up mucky waters. My, my hope is this. What I want to do is, I, as we approach God's word this morning, I want to do it as we should be doing it every week. Not with plastic pretense, but with an emotional honesty about what's actually going on in us. And, and, and the reason for that is one of the things that today's reading does is it gives us a viewpoint into those conversations by giving us the perspective from the sense of the destination of the road we're on. We're on this road through this season into whatever comes next. And here is the view from where we're heading, looking back. And that viewpoint inserts into all those types of conversations and the things that we're getting to grips with a sense of point of purpose and a sense of the ends to our life rather than the murky means. Does that sort of make sense? Well, what I'm trying to get at is this. Um, imagine there's two friends in a war zone. One of them is cracking under pressure and the other one is trying to help them. And the way a good friend helps isn't with platitudes. It's going to be okay. Because in the middle of a war zone, that's just a lie. And it's not with justifications. It's right that we're doing this. Because in the middle of a war zone, that's at least unknown and probably wrong. But what they do strengthen their friend with is the memories of home of what they're going to return to, the, the end they're driving for. It's why in old war movies, the pilot gets in the plane and he gets the sellotape out and sticks the photo of his family on the cockpit because that's why he's doing it. Remember, it's the whole point of saying, remember your point. Remember the homeward destination you longed for. That's what strengthens you in the midst of the war zone. It's, Frodo and Sam in the wastelands of Mordor calling to mind the Shire, for those who know that. It's Faramir, warrior of Gondor, embracing his longing to live out his days, tending a garden in a fillion, which at the point in the story is literally the no man's land. I'm sorry for those who don't know Tolkien, but if you know it, you know what I mean. These aren't just cliches. These are reminders from the perspective of our destination that delve into the depths where the Spirit of God bears witness. And they remind us in the midst of our adversity and in all those difficult conversations, remember what we're about, everybody. Remember why we keep on keeping on. Remember why we bother with Sunday mornings and everything else. Remember the deep destination when everything else is undone. But just before we get into the passage that's going to bring us to that point, um, can I be open for you with you for a minute 
about the specific conversations that we have about church life. And I want to be, if I haven't been clear already, I want to be very clear. I know that church life hasn't been easy. Uh, This has been the case across every church. I, I Believe me, I talk to other clergy. <laughs> um, we've come face to face with, as the forms of church have fallen away, we've come face to face with the substance of what may or may not be on the inside. I've said that before over these last two years, but it still confronts us. But not just, I don't want to just talk broadly, I want to talk about here. It hasn't been easy for us as the vine. We've gone through these last two years. We've come back in a different way. We're in a different building. We're in a different season. And we haven't really had an opportunity to grieve or mark that transition. We're not entirely sure of who we are or what we're about. Or, and, with, and with the rest of us, I'm staring, staggering around a bit, taking stock of what's here and going, well, what do we do now? Well, what do we do now? And we need to and have been putting some of those forms of church back in the last year. And apart from anything else, this has been a matter of necessity just to keep things going. And especially as we come into partnership with St. Tim's, we need to know how things work. And we need some of that church machinery. And we need some decision-making frameworks. And we need to put some programs into place. And we even need to recruit some people Um, Just so you know, we're going to be advertising for the new children's worker as soon as we can in the first first part of the new year. And I'm really grateful for all the work and energy and effort that people have been putting into the putting these forms back together. But I need to tell you, I'm also really cautious about this. I could stand here right now trying to G you up like a friend in a war zone, saying, let's get on with it, everybody back to it, there's God's work to do, let's make Sunday good, let's do Mission in S6, let's reach out to Netherthorpe, and, and of course we are doing that, the PCCs make great stuff, but I could just slip back into that sort of motivational speech. And the thing is, it doesn't work that way. If all we do, is attend to the church machinery. We're, all we're doing is we're building the trellis and forgetting about the vine that's meant to grow up it. Does that make sense? We need the trellis. Thank you for those who are helping build it. Trellises shelter and protect and give strength. But the vine grows. And that's the thing that matters. And the vine grows when we remember the deep. We remember why we keep on keeping on when everything else is undone. I don't just want this church to be another part of the religio-industrial complex, another shop front for the Christian, discerning Christian to taste and see and choose. We long for the depths of purpose and point. We need the perspective that God's word brings us today. So whether it's for you individually, your family or household community, whether it's for your sense of vocation and work, whether it's for us as a church, 
All that is what we bring to today's reading. Lord, awaken our depths. Open the eyes of our heart so that we can be stirred to where you are taking us and know why and where we are heading. What is our depth? What are we longing for? What stirs and moves us that we would keep on keeping on no matter what happens? That's what I hope we bring to our reading. So if you've got it in front of you, it's a reading from Revelation. Revelation 21. It's the closest thing we have in the whole of the Bible that tells us the end of the story, the horizon to which we look. And as we approach it, there are three points I want to make. The first point is this. We long for God's homecoming. That is our longing. In this passage, we are taken to a throne room and we uh, take stock of a new day dawning. It's the throne of our King Jesus, the one whose spirit is with us today. And his voice declares what that new thing looks like. If you can see it there uh, in verse 3. Look, he says, now God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them. Literally, he will make his home with them. Look, he says, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Look, he says, consider this. It can seem a little esoteric, but look, our heart's cry is there. Our longing is there. In a world that is like sheep without a shepherd, here is the prospect of a new day in which our shepherd returns. In a world that is broken and hurting, here is the prospect of the new day in which there are no more tears, pain or mourning. In a world that's full of sad, evil and legacy, here is a new day in which the old order of things has passed away. Because that is what happens when God comes home. And it's that homecoming that defines who we are now. The danger, of course, is that all this sounds kitschy and twee. There'll be no more tears and no more crying. Let's stick that on a sunset poster and God will give us a big hug at the end, don't you know? But it's more than that. To openly long for the homecoming of God actually means deeper things in the here and now. Things like godly defiance. Remember how we, we reflected on Mary last week? And uh, someone pointed out to me, the Christmas story is two pregnant women singing to God about the downfall of empire. Mary didn't slip into some romantic, isn't this wonderful? She sang a song about the falling of tyrants and the dawning of a new day. What song are we singing? And this isn't arbitrary. 
I have sat in my time with parents of stillborn children and with husbands who planned to grow old with their wife until cancer came along. In Tasmania right now, there is an entire state, one school community and at least six families who are traumatised by the fact that you can send your kids to an end of school fun day and not have them come home. And in those moments, charitable works and church programs are good, but not enough. Pleasant Sunday experiences are nice, but are sickly sweet. Career opportunities are great, but ultimately meaningless. Moral fortitude and social activism collapses into the reality of our own weakness, and we simply long. We long for a homecoming. We delve into a profound and holy discontent that this is not how the world should be. And it's that discontent that sets the vine growing alongside the frameworks of life. Who are we? We are the discontent ones. We are the longing ones. We are the people who see the dawning of a new day and we long for it with hope and expectation. We are the ones who can turn towards pandemics and grief and pains of this world and we have no need to pretend or cover them up with platitudes. We are the ones who stand both defiant and moved by a prospect of something certainly coming, a new order of things in which God makes his home here. And that brings me to my second point. Our longing of what will be defines our present. It certainly defines our 2022. The Christian faith has never been pie in the sky when you die. It's never been about eternal escapism. John, when he wrote Revelation, did not write it for the market of inspirational posters. He wrote it as a letter to his friends. Friends who are facing difficulty and adversity. Friends who are facing death and pain and ostracism and rejection and persecution. He writes it to people who are having the conversations that we've been having and even more than that. And it's in their present moment, just like it's in our present moment, that the homecoming Lord makes a present tense declaration. Behold, says the one who sits on the throne, I am making all things new. The emphasis is on a present tense for a present people. I am making all things new. Write this down, he tells John. It is trustworthy and true. And John's readers, therefore, had this hope and this longing while they faced famine and sickness and oppression. Behold, Jesus says, I am making all things new as they face those things. And we are facing sickness and supply chain problems and inflation and corrupt political systems. And behold, Jesus says to us, I am making all things new. I am on my way home to you. And that belief, defines us and it grounds our mission and our reason to exist 
That's what gives us the freedom right now to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. That's what fuels our prayers. It fuels our prayers for ourselves. Lord, if you're coming and making all things new, then start with me, Lord. Make me new. Make your home in me. And it fuels our prayers for others. Lord, break in. Build your kingdom here. Make yourself at home in their lives. Break through. Regenerate. Make alive. Breathe into this place. You see, the new heaven and the new earth that John sees doesn't mean a replaced heaven and a replaced earth. It means a renewed heaven and earth. A pass through the fire type heaven and earth. The new heaven and earth is this heaven and earth renewed. And our longing is not to escape to the fluffy clouds. Our longing is for Jesus to come here to us. And he says, I am making all things new. He is on his way. And that leads me to my final point. God's home is in us now, and it is also not. And we live in that tension, and that's okay. We all feel it. The kingdom of God came with Jesus. It was inaugurated. The Spirit came down and empowers his people and has led us into truth. But it's not yet complete in the fullness for which we long. And so we find ourselves speaking hope as a reality, but also as a longing. The longing and the hope go together. If you take away the longing, the hope is shallow. If you take away the hope, the longing is despair. The longing and the hope go together. This is not a bug in the Christian app. It's a feature. This is how it works. We know the love of God and we long to know it more. We know the comfort of God, but it's nothing compared to the comfort at the end. He is with us always to the end of the age, yet we long for his homecoming. We have the first fruits of the Spirit and we long for the whole harvest. We lean into the peace of eternal life and we do so in the midst of the pain, evil, uncertainty and hurt of what we are going through right now. And we don't try and cover that tension. It's where we live. We are called to follow Jesus. And so like him, we live at the interface between deep union with God and the raw pain of the broken world. It's at that exposed point that we live in the tension of hope. And that is the road that we're called on as a church. And that is the destination that, it road, that, that reveals the road. We live exposed. This is where we're called to spend our time and our lives and our money and our energy and ourselves in living there. I will interface. I will be vulnerable to those who are hurting so that I can be light in the dark. So that I can be life where there is death. So I can be truth where there is lie. And we live at that tension. It's why we need church programs and machinery and budgets and PCC meetings and all the other trellises so that the vine, the living vine, which is experiencing that tension, has support and protection and care. 
But it's not the trellis that matters. It's the vine that lives in that moment. The real mission can only come when we long for the homecoming of God. It is done, Jesus says from the throne in the verses that follow our reading. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Those who are victorious are those who inhabit the longings of Jesus and live like him, exposed to the broken of this world, but rooted and dwelling in the homecoming hope of God. There are lots of conversations that have been happening these last two years, and there's lots of conversations that are going to be happening as we come to grips with what lies ahead. This season is lingering, and it's not done yet. There is more to come. If it's not COVID, it's going to be something else. Now is a time to yearn for our God and to live now in the certainty of what he will bring. Now is the time to acknowledge our thirst for him. For those who are thirsty, he will give waters to drink, waters of life. We can only truly live exposed to this world if we long for him. We can only be God's home for others if we long for God's homecoming in ourselves first. In that place we trust, water without cost from the spring of life. As a church, we're going to be pushing ahead into 2022, and each of us will be talking to our friends and loved ones about the deep things of life. I'm looking forward to all that he can and will be doing. As for me and my house, we are not going to quickly, simply build the trellis of busyness. Rather, we will play the long game. Look to the road that takes us home to God and he to us so that he can make all things new, beginning here. Amen. And so I'd like to invite you to gather around this table right now. This table where we remember our Lord's sacrifice. Where he, for the sake of the joy set before him, his homecoming with his Lord, into your hands like a bit my spirit, bled and died for us. We invite you to take up your cross and follow him by receiving not only his comfort and his grace, but his commission and as we do that, uh, let's sing, if you like, or listen to this piece of music. It's a song which talks about the table of the Lord and his home with us. And it can be for us an offertory song. I've said it before, an offertory song is not when we pass the plate around, we can't do that. An offertory song is when we offer ourselves to be his forever.